Season 2, Episode 10 of the Talking Ball Y'all Podcast, brought to you by Mugshots Grill and Bar, Katie Cake and Company, Pearl River Community College, Bank Plus, Advantage Insurance Company, Stonewalls Barbecue and Catering, and Anthem Mitchell. Whether you're buying or selling, give Anthem Mitchell, realtor for Remats Premier Group, a call 601-698-3399 or 769-926-8397. You can also look her up on the web at www.buyorsellwithantha.com. On this episode, we will talk local and statewide sports on the roundtable, and we will also have a spotlight interview with Miami Marlins' young standout baseball player, Braxton Lee. It should be a lot of fun. Once again, we'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast, and Clay, like we do each and every week, let's roll straight into the roundtable discussion. Let's get back to last Thursday and yesterday as some games, and let's get right into some JUCO action, and this part of the box podcast will be sponsored by Pearl River Community College. Clay East Mississippi keeps on rolling. Beats Coahoma 40-0 and of course they're number one in the national polls but that locks him in the number one seed uh, for the MAC-JC playoffs. Yep Jeff you look at East Mississippi 8-0 overall they've outscored their opponents 380 to 97 on the year. <laughs> just brutal. I mean, they are it just steamrolling people. Yep, and they, uh, they'll end their regular season next week at Northeast. Another score from the JUCO uh, level, Jones beats Colin 28-23. Jones right in that mix, too. I think they were number seven in the national rankings, and uh, they're fighting for that south uh, number two or, or south number one and two between them and Gulf Coast. But Jones handles Colin 28-23. Yep, and Jones uh, got a chance to see them a couple times earlier online. And, of course, D.J. Travis, a defensive back from Popperville last year, he lines up as a secondary player for Jones. And they're really good, Jeff. They're 7-1 and one overall. And if things play out like you think they would, it would be them in East Mississippi in the final week of those state playoffs. And that would be an interesting uh, state championship ball game as uh, Jones a really good team. Yep, and next week uh, to end the regular season, Colin is home against Southwest. And then Jones will be on the road uh, against East Central. Uh, Clay, yesterday up at uh, Poplarville, Pearl River Community College had their homecoming uh, festivities kind of spoiled a little bit with Mississippi Gulf Coast coming in and winning that ball game 30-7. to Yep, and that runs PRCC's record of 1-7. and seven. One highlight uh, for uh, the local people here listening, uh, Jesse Parnell, a former Popperville Hornet, had a touchdown. And then another uh, former Popperville Hornet, Austin Bolton, had a touchdown. Jesse's touchdown benefited the Wildcats. Austin Bolton's touchdown benefited the Pert Bulldogs. So that's interesting there. Two Popperville guys getting after it on that stage. Austin had 12 carries for 61 yards. We were fortunate enough to have uh, Mr. Bolton on the podcast a few weeks ago. And so as we follow Popperville, that's our team on Friday nights that we follow. It's always interesting to keep an eye on these guys as they progress through uh, their community college and college career. So hats off to Jesse and Austin both getting in the end zone yesterday. Yep, and Mississippi Gulf Coast will be at home uh, for their last regular season uh, game against Hines and then 
Pearl River Community College will go on the road to finish up the regular season at Mississippi Delta. Now, as we transition to some Friday night lights, Clay uh, High School football, this portion of the podcast will be sponsored by Stonewall's Barbecue and Catering. Uh, Clay, the Popperville Hornets, you mentioned them just a few minutes ago, a team that we call uh, radio broadcast uh, for WRJW. Popperville all over Purvis, 49-0, stretches their record to 8-1 and overall and 4-0 in the district. Yeah, Popperville um, had, I believe, one turnover, and that was about the only thing that didn't go their way Friday night, right. just a dominant performance. And if you know anything about Popperville football, Purvis has been a rival of theirs and have really a lot of hard-fought games over the year. And so when you go to their place – kind of have a good time at their place is what Popperville did. That was fun. You know, that was a lot of fun for the Green and Gold Nation. They always travel well, particularly to Purvis, and they enjoyed the night the other night as they saw their Hornets jump all over Purvis. Purvis a down year, and Popperville took full advantage of that. And this is a Popperville club, Jeff, that's really, we say it each and every week, they just continue to get better. Hey, they're fighting through some injuries. The stud wingback Tyson Holston wasn't able to go the other night. Um, but they just continue to fight through those injuries, plug guys in, put up big numbers. We saw uh, Chase Shears be able to get right. th- a couple of quarters of run the other night, and he certainly didn't disappoint. A note that I saw once we all uh, kind of got home the other night, it was posted on his bride's Facebook page, but Jay's 50th win Coach Jay Beach up at Popperville, his 50th win, and, and he's still in the middle of his fifth year there. So you can do the math. That's averaging 10 wins a year. And high school football, you don't even – you schedule that. You know right. what I mean? And so that shows that his team's making playoff runs and they are winning at a high clip. Last time I did the math on Jay, he's winning at about an 81% rate. So that's an incredible job that head coach Jay Beach has done with that program and all that to say next Friday night at the Hornets nest should be a lot of fun Jeff yep next Friday night Lawrence County uh comes to Poplarville Lawrence County a much better improved uh football club from last year uh that is going to be for the district championship region 7 4a district championship Popperville wins, and you're the district champ. You can actually lose by a certain amount of points. We were going through these scenarios and still be district champ, lose by more, and Lawrence County is the district champ. But knowing Coach Jay Beach and the Popperville Hornet uh, coaching staff, it's uh, all or nothing. They're going for it. Um, and that should be a, a great ball game at the Hornets' Nest. Clay, uh, Clay, if you look at the standings for the Region 7 4A, Popperville 4 0, Green County 3 1. Lawrence County three and one, and then Summerall two and two. That's your four. That I don't. I didn't write the other ones down, but that is your four locked in. It's just a matter of one, two, three, four. Go ahead and number them. And I'll say this: this is something we covered on the broadcast Friday night. Of course, the four seed will go to the one. Summerall will be the four seed. They're two and two in district play. They're seven and two overall. They've got an Ole Miss commit that takes every snap for right. them at quarterback. That's not who you want to draw as your first round playoff game 
as Summerall. This region, you could see them. I mean, it'd be a long shot to go four and zero, but you could see this region even easily going three and one in the first round of the playoffs. That's what I really feel about this battle-tested region. I believe these four teams that this region will send in a playoff play will fare very well. And we've seen it last year. We actually seen Popperville play Purvis in the regular season and turn around and play Purvis again, which was an inter-district rivalry uh, in the playoffs. So we may can see that again, as you mentioned, these four teams and where they match up in the region. Um, Another game from Friday night, Clay Picune. Picune goes up the road to the Pine Belt area and, and battles Hattiesburg, but comes up a little short, 49 to 35. Hattiesburg wins that ball, ball game, extending their record to 9 and 0 overall and 5 and 0 in the district. Yeah, and when you look at that game, uh, Jeff, controversy. Uh, at end of the third quarter, um, Picune attempts, or Hattiesburg attempts an onside kick. Um, a lot of controversy in this area as a uh, head coach, Dodd Lee, was ejected from the ball game. He felt so strongly about it. Um, new rule in high school football that you actually can't just go in and, and wipe out that first wave as they're kind of looked at as defenseless uh, receivers of the football. From some descriptions that I've heard, that's kind of what uh, took place. It wasn't flagged. Hattiesburg was the benefit of that onside kick. And so they went on and won that ball game by two touchdowns. You say, well, you know, one play doesn't change a game. Well, when neither team punts and right. it's a change of possession in a ball game, it actually does uh, tremendously uh, change a game. Just talking uh, to a good friend of, of mine and a, a good friend of the podcast, uh, Dennis DeVore, he actually went back and kind of read the letter of that law, and it and it pretty well states, you know, you just – you can't hit defenseless guys, and, and that may have been what took place there. Now, Hattiesburg, boy, are they good, though. And, right. and for Picune to go up there and play as tight as they did, you describe what could happen in 4A football where you may see uh, an opponent again. Uh, Rick Cleveland within uh, minutes after that game said you could see this matchup again in the playoffs and what a matchup it would be as Hattiesburg and Picune played a really good football game Friday night. Well, another good friend of the podcast that calls uh, for the Hattiesburg Tigers, Charlie Rogers, we had him on a little bit last week talk, breaking in some of the roundtable action with Hattiesburg previewing this matchup, and he said it's a strong possibility that these two teams could face each other again in the playoffs. And So, I mean, it, it's, anything's possible. Yep, and Jeff, when you look at what Picune's been able to do on the ground, they had a tailback in Jordan Rain. We talk about him every week. He went over 220 right. yards once again. I was talking to a kid actually at Sunday school this morning, and uh, he said, you know, he plays for Picune. He said, you know, Clay, I don't think we've punted in five weeks. That's, that's <laughs> strong right there. So I looked that's at strong. the kid. And he was like, I'm serious. That is that's, look, that's brutal right there, Jeff. That's moving a darn football, son. That's strong. And then Picune, <laughs> Pick, that is, that's strong. Picune's at home this week to face Gaucher. And then Long Beach travels uh, on the road and faces – I mean, uh, Hattiesburg travels on the road and faces Long Beach. And, Clay, uh, we're going to talk over the Region 4 5A standings in just a little bit once we get some more of these scores uh, out of the way. But PRC – last Friday night, goes on the road against Gaucher. Gaucher, much improved team from last year, uh, beats PRC 48-14. to PRC record 3-6 uh, and six overall, 2-3 and three in the district. Uh, just come up uh, short 
uh, did the Blue Devils this past Friday night. Yeah, you look at Gauthier. They're six and three overall, Jeff. Three and two in this tough district. That team's got it together. They put all the pieces together. You look back a few weeks ago, they had Hattiesburg tied up at the half. And that was kind of something we looked at like in preseason. Okay, how good is Gauthier? Well, then they uh, get in a region play and were even with Hattiesburg. And we even said on the podcast at the time, okay, they're for real. They're able to put a half together like that against top competition. And they showed that Friday night against Pearl River Central. Another team in this region, and not to say that we told you that it was coming, but look at what Stone's done. They got their quarterback back. As soon as they did on the podcast, we said, look – We've seen Stone with our one eye, own eyes. They get this kid back. They're going to be different. And they've reeled off three district wins to be at three and five overall, but more importantly, three and two in district play. So Coach Feaster needed a right. part, got him back, and now uh, they're currently sitting in that four seed. I know that you're going to talk about playoff scenarios, but uh, had a terrible pre, pre-region play. Right. But Coach Feaster's got something – that he does, that he gets his team to play their best football at the right time of the year. Well, and you talked about Stone leading me right into that game. This past Friday night, uh, Stone County handled Wayne County. There's no other way to say it. They handled Wayne County 34-21. to uh, So, got some interesting things going to happen this week. The Region 4-5A, they've got two more weeks of regular season to play. Uh, right now, Stone County will go to PRC this coming up Friday. Gaucher comes to Picayune this Friday. Wayne County goes to West Harrison, Hattiesburg to Long Beach. Right now, the Region 4 5A standings are Hattiesburg 5 and 0 in the region, Picayune 4 and 1, Stone 3 and 2, Gaucher 3 and 2, but then you have them two teams lurking back there, Clay. Wayne County at 2 and 3, PRC at 2 and 3. PRC basically has to win out, has to win their last two ball games and have a little help. So basically they're mathematically still in the playoffs under Coach Owen's first year at PRC. Yeah, and PRC, um, of course, Jacob Owen, a friend of the podcast, the head coach at PRC, has done a good job. He's got everything uh, building in the right direction there. We were fortunate enough to be able to go call an eighth-grade championship that the Blue Devils were able to to win so if you want to follow along keep an eye or should say an ear on that program you can follow with Eli and Shez and Scooter and that gang on WRJW2 those games are of course broadcast uh, through the app but that is a pivotal game and the thing about Coach Feaster he knows the Blue Devils he knows that wing tee offense he's had experience being a coach there coaching alongside coach collins who ran the wing tee there at prc in his time so that will be interesting uh coach owens coaches the wing tee to i mean to a t he does a great job uh with it can they move the ball against stone but more importantly can they stop right. stone that's right and so that will be a, a neat game to keep Keep an eye on on Friday night. Yep, it really will uh, really will be a neat game. Going down to the coast, Kay, uh, Clay, the Region 4 sits A, the coast region down there. Gulfport sets on top of that. Uh, District 5-0, and o, Harrison Central 4-1, and one, Ocean Springs 4-1, D'Iberville 3-2. That's the four, top four, but then right behind them, St. Martin 2-3 and, and Biloxi 2-3, and, and them teams are mixing and matching too these last couple weeks of the regular season. Yep, that's interesting. And then when you look at what you could say the the Jackson or Pine Belt uh, region of 6A, you've got Pearl 5-0 in region uh, play, Brandon at 
five and zero. Oak Grove at four and one. As Brandon was able to give Oak Grove their only region loss just a week ago. Yep, and then of course Pedal two and three, and then George County two and three in that uh, region as well. So. Uh, a lot of things can happen these last couple weeks of the regular season before uh, we get into some postseason play. Now, Clay, moving right on, uh, right on through this roundtable uh, discussion, talk a little NCAA football action from yesterday, and this will be sponsored by Advantage Insurance Company. Auburn goes on the road and a must-win, in my opinion, situation against Ole Miss, 31 to 16. Been some talks this week about uh, coach. Some coaching staff members at Auburn, but goes up to uh, Ole Miss and wins a, a pivotal ball game, 31-16. Yep, and uh, Auburn, I, I just don't know that they're as good as what their preseason, and then that puts any kind of potential in preseason stuff, puts pressure on uh, head coaches, and Coach Gus Malzahn over there has felt that over the last few weeks, but they put it together, ran the football well against an Ole Miss defense that a lot of teams have been able to do that against, and uh, – so they were able to control the clock, eat up yardage, and run the football, and that led to that big win on, on the campus of Ole Miss for Auburn. Yep, and then, of course, have to can't talk NCAA football without talking number one Alabama in the SEC, uh, number one in the nation, 58-21 to win over Tennessee as Coach faced another former uh, understudy as far as Pruitt up there at Tennessee, beats them 58-21. to 21. Yep, the master uh, kind of <laughs> took it to the <laughs> apprentice. There. Yeah, That's right. see, yeah, Alabama, look at what they're doing, though. I mean, these aren't SEC scores. Bama's getting in the 50s each and every week. Go on the road and hang 58 on Tennessee. You look at Tua, the quarterback, 25 touchdowns, Jeff, no interceptions. I mean, this guy's phenomenal. Just to give some names, I was reading, look, if you're a sports fan and you have any extra change, or even if you don't, The Athletic, it's a, you pay, you subscribe right. to the site, uh, just great information, just to rob some of their information and to share it here. Tua has been in on 62 drives. They are averaging nine yards per play when he's been in the ball game. His drives, they're averaging 4.7 points per drive so almost a touchdown every drive this kid's in the ball game if you just his drives just those 62 drives for him they would be fourth place in scoring he hadn't taken a snap yet in the fourth quarter that's, that's right cool. hurts has been coming in you know and and uh some people were questioning uh, head coach Nick Saban, should Tua even play? He had a little ankle, uh, had a little injury, uh, so to speak, a week ago, and they were like, well, should they hold Tua out and it's Tennessee play hurts? Well, that hurt his Heisman uh, cha uh, chances or the Heisman race. Tua played, and, and you can see that he played 58-21. to 21. Uh, A little note uh, for uh, people that go down and visit the – uh, sports books on the coast. I seen that over and under at forty four and a half, and I, I almost made a trip down to the closest uh, little sports book at the Slipper and and seen that. And I was should have did something with the over as it was fifty eight to twenty one. Big win for Alabama. Mississippi State played a, a prime time matchup last night. Go down to Death Valley in Baton Rouge. Number five LSU comes out with the win, nineteen to three. Mississippi State. No kind of offense. When your quarterback is your leading rusher, 
some something's got to give right there, and Mississippi State falls short, nineteen to three. Yeah, he had more ints than State had points. Did. The quarterback, so that's tough. You know, high expectations, the offensive guru and Moorhead that they've hired as the head coach there, but the quarterback play just has right. not uh, been there, and you give it away four times against a tough LSU secondary and a good LSU team at home, and that's what you're going to get, that 19-3 to game. And a lot of people, you know, that's sandwiched between a Georgia game and then a week off before Alabama. So people called for that to be a trap game. Well, uh, it wasn't that, you know, I, this is hard to say, but credit Coach O. He, right. he had him focused and ready. He's done a good job uh, this year. Not sure how, and uh, but he, he's had his club uh, ready to play, and it really sets up both LSU and Alabama catch a week off to recover, get well, and get ready for one another. And in two weeks, LSU and Bama, that – if. Maybe we'll see two. I have to actually play in right. the fourth quarter. We'll see. Well, and that that matchup that Clay has mentioned is November the third, and coming into the season, a lot of people questioned the LSU offense. They expected the defense uh, to kind of do what they've been doing, put some stops, put points on the board too, as the defense. But they questioned the offense and Burroughs. Uh, down there under center, uh, the leader on that offense has has played good ball. Uh, this year and LSU ranked number five going into yesterday but then we had some shakeups seeing number two Ohio State get pounded by Purdue 49 to 20 so look for LSU to kind of move up into that thing as they're inching their way closer to maybe a four, one of them four teams in the playoff system yeah absolutely if you looked at it as you said as Purdue just thumped Ohio State you would certainly think uh, in in that couple of weeks, that, that would be playoff type matchup when LSU and Alabama get after it. Just to move kind of closer to home for us, Jeff. Uh, USM was able to take right. care of uh, Texas San Antonio yesterday at the Rock. I had the pleasure of being there uh, for a little while. Anyway, uh, our tickets are in the end zone there, and the wind was whipping through, and then my daughter had a, a mini meltdown. So those two factors led to an early exit, and we get in a vehicle and start heading back from the Pine Belt, and USM starts turning a darn football over. It was 27-3 to at one time. Yeah, and good luck, Charm Lil. Yeah, right. And so Southern Miss holds on uh, to that 27-17 to victory. Look, I'll take it. I'll take right. the win. Yep, and I was you were at the game, but I was sitting here uh, at the house on the couch uh, watching the broadcast, listening to a good friend of ours, Jason Baker, who had the call for ESPN Plus, uh, calling the ball game up there for homecoming. So, uh, just a you know a good call and a good win for USM. Yep, and you look at that win, a Biloxi uh, product, Tim Jones. Went for over 100 yards receiving. Abraham with high percent. This guy is very accurate. His percentage, uh, completion percentage is off the charts. He went 28 of 33, 269 yards, a touchdown. Had that pick. They had three turnovers a row in there in the third quarter. Tried to let the Roadrunners back into the ball game. But the thing that they did yesterday, Jeff, that was the most encouraging to me is Mosley, the freshman tailback, ran the football he had over 140 rushing yards they changed some things up on the offensive line some different pieces and parts moved some guys and they actually opened up space and then this freshman Mosley I would have loved to seen him earlier in the year because he's run the ball very effectively since he's gotten 
and he got his first start yesterday. Won't be his last for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Yep, and then late last night for all uh, you MLB fans out there uh, talking baseball late last night, the ball game ended, and we have the World Series matchup set. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers beat the Milwaukee Brewers 5-1, to one, won that series 4-3. to three. And then Tuesday, Clay, starts the World Series and should be a great World Series. Boston Red Sox versus the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, and if you're going to put a marquee up, that's a pretty historic uh, franchises for Major League Baseball right there. 102 years ago. They matched up in a World Series. Kind of odd. You would have thought that would have come around uh, sooner, but that's how long it's been since they've matched up. And some interesting uh, pieces to it, as you said, should be a really good. If you look back when the Red Sox were trying to break the curse and win their first World Series and whatever the years were, Dave Roberts had a pivotal stolen base in that series. And for him to be able to do that, of course, now he's the manager right. for the Dodgers. So. A lot of interesting pieces and parts. One close to, to us, the Southern Miss guys, Brian Dozier uh, on the roster, second baseman there for the Dodgers. So uh, wish Dozier and the Dodgers the best in that. And that leads us right into our spotlight interview this week. We actually have a guy from Picune and Braxton Lee that uh, – was up and had an opportunity in the show earlier this year. So let's check in with Braxton Lee. We're excited to be joined by a professional baseball player with the Miami Marlins organization. He's a former Maroon Tide, former Wildcat of Pearl River Community College, and former Ole Miss Rebel. And uh, Braxton, that introduction, man, is a mouthful, but we certainly appreciate you joining the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Braxton, let's start, man, with with what I'm going to call has to be a dream come true, man. Um, earlier this year, you made it up uh, to the show. And just kind of describe to our listeners what that must have been like for you. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know where to start. It's, it's what every little boy growing up playing baseball has ever dreamed of. I mean, it's there's only 750 major leaguers in the world they get to call themselves that. So, I mean, for me to be one of those guys to make it out of the billion, trillion, however many people are in the world is, I mean, it's an absolute honor. And Braxton, the year that led um, to you being invited to spring training and, and getting that opportunity, a special year, 2017, you win a, a batting title and then you uh, perform really well in fall ball to, to give – get this opportunity describe to us that year and what all um kind of clicked to have that opportunity uh a lot of hard work i would say i mean it was just it was a year that kind of it was so good that it when i think back on it it flew by because there was no thinking there was no like oh gosh what about this or this or this it was just every single day was a new day i was doing what i needed to i mean it performed well I don't know what led to that other than just preparing mentally and physically uh, well for the season to come up and making sure to do what I know how to do that I've done my whole life. And I just go out and play hard and give it my all. And then that's, I, I guess that's all that I can say really is that's all that I did. And then it worked out. Everything, everything went good and I played well and, uh, 
from there things just started to click and then that's I don't know how to say other than that's just how the season went and Braxton when you look at uh, playing in in the major leagues man that's uh, just seeing you, I guess, even in, in Little League and at each level, just so special, even from uh, people from this area, from your hometown. Could you kind of feel that support and kind of that, that you were carrying uh, the city of Picayune into the major leagues with you? Oh, yeah, especially only being two other guys that I know of that's made it from Picayune. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a burden, but it was kind of cool knowing that, like, oh, I'm from this little town of Picayune, and – not to be like arrogant or whatnot, but it's like I know everyone is watching right now because I was like, it's like this is cool because the town's so tiny, so everyone knows that I'm here right now. So it was pretty neat being able to to be on that big stage and know that in the back of my head that uh, the whole town is watching. And the town and Braxton, if you would, I've got this on my notes, and then we'll walk, we'll kind of walk through each level that you've played on, but. Your family uh, support, Braxton, the way that your your parents have supported you, your extended uh, family. I mean, I'm close enough, I guess, to y'all to have been able to, at least from the outskirts, uh, see that support. What does that mean to you, man, and what has that been like in your career so far? Oh, it means everything because it's my family. So, I mean, they're the closest ones to me, and then never, never a negative from any one of those. It was always just, yeah, go do it. Do what you know how to do. Always my mom telling me, hey, go out and play hard. I mean, never like, hey, your family's watching and this and that, but it's just every one of my family members, I mean, you know the leads. There's a gazillion of them in Picayune. So <laughs> from every single one of them, it was just like, hey, we love you and we're watching you and we, we know what to do. There. So there's no, there was not really any pressure or anything. It was just like, hey, we got your back. We're right here if you need anything. And Braxton, I can't imagine, man, you, you've described the size of that family and then uh, all pretty good at baseball, it seems, too, man. I can't imagine like a family wiffle ball game or, or when y'all <laughs> all get together. That's a pretty competitive scene, huh? Oh, yeah. We always, always growing up, probably until we were like 16, that we always was either football against each other or wiffle ball, like you said, or even uh, ultimate frisbee. And it was. And then it was awesome, too, because if we played against other people, it was basically our family versus them. And it, not to brag again, but it's like that no one could beat us because <laughs> of how close we were as a family. Because we always, growing up, we grew up uh, hanging out with each other like every weekend. So it was like we got to see each other enough where it's like everybody was so close. It was like we were all brothers, basically. And once again, we're fortunate enough to be joined on today's podcast by Braxton Lee, the spotlight interview presented by Bank Plus. And uh, Braxton, this is Jeff talking here. And just, you know, talk about the, the transition. You was you made it up to the majors out of the minor league system. And then there's always kind of options. You see, the, you see the pages from major leagues where they option players down and they bring players up. It's just part of the business uh, going through that. And they optioned you back down uh, to the baby Kates. Talk about playing with the baby Kates to kind of finish out uh, this season and then if you would we we all know we're around New Orleans area they're they're talking about moving the baby Kates I think that's official uh, talk a little bit about that that spot where you move back down playing and finishing with the baby Kates and then maybe the transition where they're going to move the team as part of that Marlins organization yeah it, I mean it was cool once again getting getting to play close to home 
I mean, New Orleans is only an hour away. And, I mean, not that I got a bunch of people to come watch because it was, I mean, we played every single day, so it's tough for people to come watch. It's not like, and it's kind of totally different than Biloxi whenever I kept hearing all the buzz about everybody down there going to watch Biloxi because it's new and whatnot. So, but it was it was cool just mainly because it was an hour away and I, I got to come home every night to my wife and uh, and basically live at home and only have to commute an hour away, which wasn't terrible to be able to stay at home every night. But it was cool just because I've been to that park before as a kid growing up to watch AAA games. And then for me to actually be there and see everything and then be like roles reverse where kids come watch me and I'm like, I can't believe that I'm here right now playing in New Orleans that I was watching this like six, seven years ago. So uh, it was cool. And then the transition from, I haven't read much. I don't get on social media, but uh, I think what my mom said and everybody that they're moving to Kansas or something, not next, not next year, but the year after that. So uh, I think that'll be pretty cool. I mean, it's, a, it's tough right now where the field is in uh, Kenner. I mean, they don't get many fans, but it was for me being a local kid. It was definitely it was it was cool. Braxton Jeff kind of went into the business side of baseball. There at at some point has baseball turned into a job. I mean, uh, at what point does that that kind of change um, from it being uh, just a, a phenomenally fun game into a job? Uh, I don't think I, – I haven't got to that part yet where it's like, man, this is my job. It's more like, hey, I get to go show up and play baseball for a living. I mean, I'm only 25, so, I mean, maybe when I get get around 30 or so, I guess, whenever it gets more down to the nitty-gritty where it's I'm not as young and I can't do everything that I can now, I guess, where it's more like, okay, I have to do this. Like, this is my job. This is my role to play where I can – be successful and they see that and they let me play like as an everyday player in the big leagues or where I'm older guy and I can only like run and it's like okay this is my job to steal bases <laughs> like down nitty gritty of this instead of just now how I'm just playing where I can do everything really well so I, I mean I haven't got to that side of it yet you can definitely see a side of it when you get to the big leagues because like you said they option guys up and down all the time and it's just depending on if you're if you're doing good and you're playing, and I guess that gets to the job part of it, like who's better at their job. So other than that, uh, there hasn't, it hasn't been much of like a, a real job. I mean, it's playing baseball for a living. I couldn't, I don't, I don't see how I could ever say that, that that's like an actual job. That's kind of the answer I expected from you. And I, I think if we had you on 10 years from now and you're 35 doing be the same. whatever level, yeah, I would kind of expect you to give that exact same answer just seeing the joy that you play the game with braxton let's go through and just look at the different uh levels that that you've taken to get here and we'll start back at your picking days uh a standout uh with the maroon tide i want to say your senior season you only made an out about every other uh, plate attempt there i think you had about a 500 average or maybe north of that just speak to how the game changes at each level and how at each level has prepared you to get to where you are now. Uh, the high school, when I think about it now, it's like, oh my gosh, high school. Like that was, I, I used to think it was super hard because it was like <laughs> being a young guy and getting to play in varsity 
and see all these older guys. And then now I look at them like, geez, Louise high school, like that wasn't anything that compared to what I've done now. But, uh, yeah, it definitely helped my senior year doing that and playing good. And, uh, I think it, like you said, each year you play, you learn a little something new that helps you get to the next level and helps you succeed. You get to see something about yourself that you haven't figured out yet. So, uh, Starting from Picayune, I always had uh, Ryan Hughes always talk to me. I never really was recruited by anybody but the River. And I remember seeing him when he came back and he would talk and tell me these things. And I'm like, man, why is he talking to me? Like, what what am I? Who am I? So uh, getting to have experience from him and uh, Richard Emhoff, I mean, he helped me a lot hitting because he was a great hitter. And then he helped me with a bunch of that. And then uh, I don't know if you want me to skip on and go ahead to the river after that. but uh. No, you're doing fine, man. And we've actually been fortunate enough to have uh, – I, I wanted to say knuckleheads. Neither <laughs> one of them would appreciate it. But we've had um, Ryan and Richard both on the podcast. We love those, uh, yeah. love those two guys. And just to hear, that's special for uh, those former standouts. And, and Ryan, one of the guys that you've mentioned that actually made it up to the show from Picune as well just to hear them kind of pour back into you does my heart good so keep going man yeah. i love it oh well i mean other other than that that's that's about it i mean high school was high school is more of the playing in summer ball you gotta you get to meet new guys which is kind of like the minor league side cause you see all these kids from everywhere and you're at these tryouts and these one day uh clinic things where you got colleges coming and seeing you and maybe there's major league scouts there so i mean it's High school was more of the, uh, like, eye-opening side of things because you see how big baseball is and you see the amount of scouts and coaches that are there just watching and seeing you, and that's where you really get to start venturing out and being like, okay, I got these options and I can do this. And you see these other guys, you're like, okay, I can I can play with these guys. So. And Braxton, your speed and then your – I mean, you've got – when you look at scouting reports, you've got plus-plus speed, the way that you can play in the outfield, a, a great arm, uh, and I, we're not going to talk size, but for a guy your size, a plus arm, those skill sets in college baseball, and I'm going to call – I mean, I, it's hard to call Pearl River Community College. I mean, that level of baseball is college baseball. Talk about how you were able to enhance those skills – and and what playing on that level has meant to your career? Once again, it it, it started with my coach, uh, Coach Hoffpower. He he was the one that got me, and then he was he was kind of a coach that was like, "Hey, you're gonna play, like just play." It wasn't it wasn't like at Ole Miss where it's kind of you have pressure on you because you're you're there to get to the World Series, and you got all these guys, and you're kind of competing. You're competing harder for a spot there just because it's you're on the bigger stage at SEC. So being in junior college, it was really, I would say it was my most developmental stages other than minor leagues because he never really, it wasn't do this, do that, do this. He wanted, when we played, it was more, hey, go out there, give it your all and play. I'm not going to like tell you why are you doing this, why are you doing that. And it's more of like he was going to let us learn on our own from our mistakes. So, and like you said, just being able to be, to have speed and to be a good outfielder, I kind of learned by just playing there and seeing what I could do. And he always was one to be like, you want to steal? Go. Just go. Just go. Just go. So, I, I mean, freshman year was okay. I don't even really remember 
freshman year at the river, but junior, uh, sophomore year, I hit really well. I was only a few points away from having the all time average there. And then I think my sophomore year, I had around 30 or 40 stolen bases. So, I mean, getting be getting to be able to do that was really without anyone saying like, Hey, why are you doing this? Or why aren't you doing this? It really let me see who I was as a player. And I got to, it was a real, real competitive side because I was like, I want to be the leader in all these categories that I know I can be tops in. So uh, it was probably my most memorable and most fun years of, of baseball. And once again, we're joined by Braxton Lee, uh, professional baseball player in the uh, Miami Marlins organization on the spotlight interview brought to you by Bank Plus. And Braxton, uh, seeing you play at Picayune in high school and, and watching your stats and seeing you at the river and then go on to Ole Miss and play. You were talking about the scouts being at games in high school and at junior college and then at uh, the NCAA level up at the D1 level at Ole Miss. And you've always wanted to play baseball, and I know you were working toward that major league uh, job and, and playing baseball in the major leagues. But when did you start seeing that become more of a reality, when the scouts showing up all the time and talking to you at then three different levels as you worked your way up into where you're at now? Oh, uh, it all started – actually all started when I was at the River my sophomore year. We were running the 60-yard dash just to get our times because, I mean, that's what you do growing up until you get, like, to the minor leagues. And so I ran, like, the fastest time I'd ever run in junior college, it was like a six three something, and then I see a tweet from one of the Ole Miss coaches, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck? <laughs> so that was kind of a huge eye opener. So I was like, wow, I can't believe they had, like actually saw that because my coach tweeted something about it that I ran that, and then they tweeted back, and then I started getting phone calls from them, like recruiting wise, and I'm like, man, I've never seen one of them at one of the games. And then coaches like, yeah, they come to like every time you play somewhere close, they're there watching you, <laughs> but they're like hiding out. So uh, that, that's kind of really when when things opened up. And then throughout that sophomore year at the River, I was playing good at stealing bases. And then uh, my uh, scout that actually drafted me, he he had been there my freshman and sophomore year. And I, and I uh, talked to him a bunch. Uh, so getting, getting to talk to the Ole Miss guys and then the Ray scout, I mean, he he really kept up with me, and that's that's when it started being really cool. Because I was like, man, he's talking to me a lot. Like, I have a huge opportunity here to to do what I always wanted to do, and then that dream came true. Braxton, when you look at it, just doing some research uh, on this interview, you ran a exceptional sixty time, I believe it was, at one of the scout days at Ole Miss as well. Yes, I did. And so when that starts to become a reality uh, for friends and family, like how do you keep it all straight, man? I mean, that's got to be a lot of uh, – look, and I know you know who, who your inner core is. I don't think that's inner, any question. But does it become somewhat distracting as you uh, prepare to start in your major league ball game? Like, I mean, how do you keep all that straight, man? Uh, I, I mean – like I said, it's just a game, so I don't – none of that really comes to mind until kind of like we made it to uh, – making it to the College World Series with Ole Miss. I didn't really 
let that hit me until like three months after mm. until like once I got drafted and I came back home, I was like, I can't believe I made it to the college world series. And I'm like, that was four months ago. Why am I thinking of that now? <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't really set in until kind of like the season's over with. Cause you're, it's a, it's such a daily, daily, like mental and physical grind that you have to be locked in for the, the most important things. And I mean, there are days where, I'm just sitting and I'm reading articles and I'm looking at this. I'm like, I can't believe this is me right now. Like, they're talking about me. Like, this is kind of crazy. Kind of like this interview. It's like, why would somebody want to interview me? Like, so I, I kind of don't see, I don't see things as blown up as I guess other people would, mainly because it's just about me. And I just want to be, I, I've always just been, I tried to stay as humble as possible and just kind of keep, keep those things to myself and not really like blow them up. Cause if I blow them up and other people blow them up, it's like, Oh my gosh, now I, I got this to worry about. Now I'm going to be more worried about this than what I actually need to be worried about. So that, I mean, other than that, that's just kind of how I keep things under wraps and just be cool about everything. Bryson, when you look at the way that you were raised, I'll give a, I guess a shout out, so to speak to Miss Jill and uh, Mr. Russell on the way that, that they raised you, they raised you and, and, from what I can see to approach things just like you've described how much of Russell your your dad hitting you fly balls and uh helping you track balls I mean he had to have when we talk about development instruction he was one of the the finer little league coaches that I've seen just talk about the way that he helped prepare you he he kind of mainly prepared me more like never never pushed me to do anything like crazy i mean he would yell at me when i'd make a dumb mistake but i mean that that i deserved it because i did something stupid but uh other than that he never really said like hey you need to do this because he didn't grow up and play baseball he, he played really everything mm-hmm. other than baseball so he uh his i don't really know he was just there to like help me play and have the opportunities to play and he never was like hey you need to play harder you need to do this you need to do that because it was always me being the one if I put I was playing shortstop ball hit to the outfield I'm running to get the ball before <laughs> the outfielder would right. so I don't think he really had to coach me on like the I guess the playing harder aspect it was more of like he was just let me play every single day to get me to get me used to kind of how baseball is today where that's what the minor leagues is for you you have to play all these games because they want you they want you to develop and get better at your skills so he that mainly all it was he was there to if i wanted to go to the ballpark he would get off of work at three and then load up and we go there for an hour or two and literally just hit the ball and run around and play so it was more of like him just getting me out there in the elements and being able to play and get used to all these uh like how baseball is today. I mean, you have to, it's a, it's a thing where you have to play every single day to be able to get good at it. So that's, I mean, that I think that was his biggest role, honestly, in helping me was just getting me out and playing. You know, and we circled all the way back around Braxton coming back to the present day, the baby Kate's finished up the season. And we had mentioned earlier that you finished the season uh, with the baby Kate's, but uh, people that look at sports center and people that's hang has been hanging around baseball and knows about baseball knows that 
uh, corporation uh, with a member by the name of Derek Jeter, you know, purchased the Miami Marlins. And what direction do you think the Miami Marlins are, are heading in to as y'all y'all got some off season now and then you begin spring coming up after Christmas? I know you're working out on your own, but what direction do you think that Derek Jeter and that organization with the Miami Marlins are headed? Uh, I think it's kind of the same as what the Houston Astros have done. They, I mean, it took them. They were the same way when they started, like, rebuilding that whole stage. I think they're one of the big teams that started doing that, I guess. I, I don't really know the history of that, of teams rebuilding. But they, uh, just kind of like them, they, it took them four or five years to be able to get to where they are now. And I think that's the same direction that uh, the Marlins are in. Because I think I read an article of him saying, like, I'm not gonna. He was like, I'm not gonna lie, but we're not that we're not gonna be good, but we're gonna play our best. But these young guys that we have on the team now, it's gonna take a few years for them to get used to the major league style and learn how how to play it because it's a little bit different from the minors. So I think that's the direction that's heading in because just like just like you see the Astros for two years, I think when they were rebuilding, they were the worst team in the league by far. And then now they're the best team, kind of like that Sports Illustrated. I think they predicted they'd win the World Series in 2017, and they did. So I think that's kind of the, the exact same type of thing that the Marlins are trying to do right there. I mean, it's going to take a few years. So, I mean, the Marlins fans are going to have to bear with us. But give us a few years, and then that's, that's where I think the team will be headed. Braxton, we certainly uh, appreciate, once again, you joining us, man, and we – Wish you continued success and keep representing Picayune in the fashion that we know that you will, man. We we thank you again for your time, Braxton. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for having me. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode brought to you by Mugshots Grill and Bar, Katie Cake and Company, Pearl River Community College, Bank Plus, Advantage Insurance Company, Stonewalls Barbecue and Catering, and Anthem Mitchell with Rematch Premier Group. Stay tuned for more episodes in the weeks to come.